This morning, I want to speak to you on the aspect of handling the presence of God. The term handling comes into play here in our story today where really how do we handle the presence of God when we are unworthy to even touch the hem of His garment? He is holy and we are not. What I mean by handling the presence of God is how are we responding and living in the presence of God as His presence abides in us? His presence came down in a a cloud of glory over the tabernacle called the Shekinah. The weight, the Chabad of His glory rested upon it. You could see it. It was in the Ark of the Covenant. It was present where that covenant and Ark was. But it is now in us. We have it tabernacled in us, His presence. And so how do we handle that presence? I want to go over five ways of handling the presence of God with you this morning. We start in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we're going to go through 1 and 2 Samuel to find our story, and basically what we're going to do is follow the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you'll remember what the Ark of the Covenant was, it was that box that God commanded Moses to make. It held within it the covenant of God, the Ten Commandments, the stones that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai that had the Ten Commandments in them put in this covenant box. Also within that box was the jar of manna, the provisions and the food that God gave to Israel while they wandered in the wilderness as a testimony of God's provisions. That was in that box. Also as well was the staff or the rod of Aaron that blossomed with the almond blossoms as God watched over his word to protect it and declared Aaron as the priest for the nation. That was in that Ark of the Covenant as well. And so it was a box of remembrance that God keeps his word. God watches over his word to perform it. And God will be in their midst. And on top of that Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. It was the lid, if you will, to that covenant box. And on it were the two cherubim where the presence of God resided between the cherubim. And so that's the Ark of the Covenant. And that was where the presence of God rested. It's where the high priest once a year, only he alone could go through the veil into the Holy of Holies and come before the presence of God and apply the blood of the Lamb for the atonement of Israel. So what happened with the presence of God and how was it handled? I want to go to the place in 1 Samuel 4 where we see that the ark was at one time captured. You see, the ark at this point, after they had entered into the promised land, was now stationed in a place called Shiloh. And so at that place called Shiloh was the tabernacle and the ark, but it was uh, attended to by Eli and his sons, Hophnus and Phinehas. Samuel was a young boy that began to grow up in the, in the presence of that. And uh, what took place was the Philistines were coming to fight against Israel. And Israel was losing. And so as Israel was losing, uh, the people, it says, the army and the people had an idea that they should take the ark of God out into the presence of the battlefield to win the fight. 
So the first aspect of handling the presence of God I want you to look at is one of superstition. Because the, the Ark of the Covenant had become a magic amulet to them, a magic uh, uh, box that could do what they needed to do. How many of you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? You don't mess with that box, right? You don't want to open that box. But what had happened to such a degree that instead of seeking the face of Jehovah Yahweh, instead of going before God and offering sacrifice and interceding on behalf of Israel and repenting and getting their act together, they figure, let's take the magic box. Let's take the presence of God out into the war and this will do it. I, I figure they thought that they could just carry it out there and once they got it out there, the enemy would go, ah, boom, dead. So, as we see our story, it says that in 1 Samuel 4, 4, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield. And as they took it out, the Philistines were scared. They said, oh no, Israel's God is now coming out. You see, we represent God. And I wonder how much we represent the true Lord Jesus Christ. We've got all of our magic amulets and bumper stickers and, and, and t-shirts and, and wristbands and all the Jesus paraphernalia that we wear, right? I mean, how superstitious are we with the presence of God? And how does the world know that we are Christians, by our love or by our t-shirts? The majority of the population of the United States wears crosses. Why? It's a good luck charm. I remember having a couple come into the church and saying they wanted to get married in a church. And I said, do you attend church? No. I said, well, why do you want to get married in a church? They said, for good luck. I said, you don't need a church. And so how many of us handle the presence of God in a superstitious way? We, we wear certain things. We do certain activities because we're superstitious. We give certain amounts so that we'll get from God the approval. Huh? And we'll pray certain beads or anoint with certain things and it all becomes superstitious to us. Somehow to get this God up there to act on our behalf through our superstitions. And so Hophni and Phinehas come out there with the Ark of the Covenant, not properly carrying it, not delivering it into the presence of God, not honoring His presence at all, but bringing it into the enemy's camp. And the enemy is scared. They go, this is the God that delivered Israel from Egypt. This is the God that demolished Jericho. We better fight all the more. And they fought, they defeated Israel, and they stole the Ark of the Covenant into their camp. What's the deal, God? These are your people. Why are you letting this happen to your people, God? The bigger question is, how did the people let this happen to God? With a respect of reverence and awe to who He is, but treating Him like a magic amulet, some kind of superstitious activity that God's going to bless and God's going to do. It's sickening what's on YouTube, what's on TV, what is being preached uh, through the radio. The foolishness that is out there that is nothing more than superstitious activity. It's sickening what we've done with the presence of the Lord. He's in us. He inhabits us. We don't need magic tricks. We don't need tomfoolery and trickery. We don't need any of that stuff. 
Why would God go into the hands of the enemy? Probably because he'd be better treated by them than the ones who knew better. He couldn't get a witness out of them. You don't have to defend God. He's fine defending himself. So he went into the Philistine camp. Now that's an amazing story too. You've got to read all this. It's a good story. So they took him in to, to uh, defeat the God of Israel, this Jehovah, this Yahweh, and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put him at the feet of their God, Dagon. Dagon was a fish god. His image was the image of a man with the head of a fish. And so we defeated Israel's God and they put the ark in front of that statue and they go and go to bed and overnight they come back and their statue fell flat on its face. God will have no other gods beside him. So what do you do when your God falls down? You prop him back up. So they propped him back up and everything's fine in Philistine time. And uh, they go to bed next night, they come back, the statue's down, busted into pieces. Then a plague breaks out, and all of a sudden pestilence starts to move throughout uh, uh, the Philistine camp, and rats come everywhere and begin to infiltrate and infestate everywhere. Nobody likes rats. Ah. And then, then after the pestilence, uh, God, God has quite a sense of humor here, and God brings upon them tumors but the hebrew translation for these tumors are hemorrhoids and the philistines are plagued with hemorrhoids now that is not good and the philistines consider we need to get rid of this thing now but in order to do it they want to honor get this the god of israel they don't want to make him any more angry than he is. Where was Israel, the people of God, in respect to God? You see, he was something superstitious to them. Even to the Philistines, he's superstitious. Jesus is superstitious to the people out here. They don't know how to respond to God. They don't know how to respond to his presence. We have to teach them how to respond. Throw away your magic tricks and have a personal relationship. Show them the love of Christ. Show them the person of Jesus. And so they decide what we need to do is build an ox cart, have some oxen that have never pulled a cart and put it together, and then we need to give an offering to their God out of gold. Let's make an image of the thing that plagued us so that we can get rid of it. So they hired a sculptor, and uh, this is a fascinating concept. Um, I could imagine the conversation when they hired the the guy to sculpt, they said, hey, Joe, we need you to sculpt a couple things here. We need some statues out of gold. Sure, what do you need? Well, we need you to sculpt a rat. Make that thing life-size, make it look bad. We need a gold rat. Okay, what's the other thing? Well, we need you to sculpt the hemorrhoids. <laughs> so I'm thinking he's going, well, do you want me to sculpt them in their natural habitat or... separate, isolated from the environment they're in. Can you imagine this guy sculpting hemorrhoids? Whatever, he did it. And they put him on the ox cart and they let that ox cart go. That's crazy. 
It was in the Philistine camp for seven months till they finally released it, and the oxen simply walked on their own, and guess where they went back to? Israel. The ox had no problem in obedience to God. And so the first way we look at God and His presence is superstitious, and we want to get rid of that. We don't want to be superstitious with God or His activities or the things that are sacred and holy to us. It's the presence of God. It's the person of God. It is a personal relationship. And when you get too uh, attached to objects and things, they become superstitious. All of it represents a presence of Him. Well, the next thing we're looking at is curiosity. Another way to handle God's presence is just being curious about it. It's a bit of an interesting thing. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, there's a curiosity with God. They don't take Him serious, but they look into these things. Because as the ox cart returns back to Israel, it wanders its way back to Beth Shemesh. And as it gets there, there's a bunch of guys that find it and call the Levites, and they look, and they offer sacrifices to it. That's good. But then their curiosity gets the best of them. Hey, uh, what do you think's inside that thing? I don't know, but we better not touch it. This is the ark of the presence of God. What if we bump it? Do you think it's heavy? I don't know. You touch it. I ain't touching it. You touch it. No. Hey, what if we just happen to uh, look under the lid? Maybe there's something stolen. Maybe everything's not there. Maybe we should inspect it. I ain't going to touch it. Well, but really, we're doing a good thing. So, (laughs) out of the mouths of babes, don't. These guys lift up the lid and they begin to investigate the Ark of the Covenant. And as you saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you do not want to lift up that lid. But again, curiosity. Are we just curious about God? Do you really believe that this is the living Word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword? Or are you just curious about it? I do that all the time. Are we just curious? We just read it now and then because it's got some good stories. We read it now and then because we have a God question. We get our questions answered. We have someone else tell us things. We're curious to know, but have you given your life God wants more than your curiosity concerning His presence. He wants you. He wants more than your thoughts about it, your inquisitive aspects of it, and even asking the questions to get your answers. He wants your heart. He wants your total being. He wants more than curiosity. As a matter of fact, those who had the curiosity to lift up the lid that day, 70 of them died. Because God is more than just a curious little thing to look into. He's the living God who made heaven and earth. And we are so free today to ridicule and to mock Jesus. To make pictures of Him. You go on YouTube, you Google it, you see all the profane images of Jesus. The foolish cartoons, the shows they have Him in. Doing all sorts of ridiculous things. And as Christians, we recognize that they're fools for doing it. But will they curiously look into the things of God? But one day, God requires one thing from all of us. Not our curiosity, not our inquisitiveness. He requires our lives. That day they looked into the ark and they died. 
One day you looked into Jesus and you died because you gave your life to Him. The presence of God is not something that we're simply to be curious about, but we're to be devoted to. And so we must seek the face of the Lord. After those 70 died, it says in 1 Samuel 6.20, Who's able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall He go away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Cariath-Jerium, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down here and get rid of it for us. You know, there's many churches that uh, are curious about the things of God, but they don't want His presence to abide. There's a number of churches that have basically asked the presence of God to go. They'll look into the things they like in Scripture and the other things that need to conform to the culture. They're just curious enough and superstitious enough to keep the name of Jesus around, but they don't want His presence because His presence will mess you up. His presence will kill everything that opposes Him. And so come, Holy Spirit, come in this place and change us forever. Kill us. Kill the things in us that are, that are literally killing us that we're self-deceived over. Get rid of the foolishness that we have and the religious curiosity and show us Your glory and show us Your face. Come now. So they said, we can't have this presence here. It's too dangerous. And so many churches are lightening up. Lightening. It's church light. It's spirit light to remove what God could do. We must stick to our programs and stay curious of our religious activities. So they came down and they brought Levites to bring the presence of God And what they decided to do was take it to another place where we see the next form of handling His presence, apathy. For they brought the Ark of the Covenant to the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah. The house of Abinadab, it's the city on the hill, and in the house of Abinadab, his son Eliezer cared for the Ark of the Covenant. But In that time, the ark is in the house of Abinadab. You don't hear anything from anybody anymore. Samuel passes away, and then they want a king. King Saul becomes king of Israel. He knows where the ark of the covenant is. He knows where its presence is. But does he go to that ark? No, he does not. Everybody's fine to have the ark in somebody's house in a closet. And so Saul, as he's king and as he rules, he'd much rather go to the witch of Endor. He'd much rather have Samuel do some sacrifices. He'd much rather have someone else give him information instead of he himself going into the presence and before the ark of God, he would rather have it his way. It's apathy. Apathy. 
You know where you need to go to hear from the Lord. You know that we must go to prayer. We must go seek his face. But it's so much easier to listen to the radio preacher. It's so much easier to put on Christian music. It's so much easier to read a devotional. Apathy in dealing with the presence of God instead of going to the house where he is. And I don't mean the church. I'm glad you come to church. And I would pray his presence is here. But his presence is here. But we're so busy looking for things here. And I'm speaking to me right now. I am apathetic concerning the presence of God and I repent before you and repent before God. But if we're ever going to win a battle, if we're ever going to go any further, we've got to go where the presence of God is. We've got to get into the Word. We've got to get on our knees and, in, and, and on our face before a living God in His presence instead of keeping Him in a box somewhere. And that's what happened. Saul names one of his kids Abinadab. Don't tell me he didn't know where Abinadab lived. Thirteen years after the ark was placed in the house of Abinadab, King Saul was slain by the Philistines in a battle on Mount Gilbo, bordering the valley of Armageddon. Abinadab was also killed in that battle with his father. So ending the reign of King Saul. And so the ark languishes and lingers in the house of Abinadab. Nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. And the enemy, the Philistines, defeat Israel once again. Isn't it horrible being defeated by an enemy that you could easily defeat if we would turn to the presence of God? How many of us have been deceived, fooled, and beaten up by this devil time and time again? And instead of going to the presence of God with apathy, we complain about God. And we get out our religious trinkets and our superstitious ideas. And we're curious as to why God doesn't perform the way He should perform. And we become apathetic with His abilities. And the whole time, He's been waiting for us to approach. Well, a new king comes on the scene. You know his name, King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who knew what it was to be in the presence of God. Though he wasn't at Abinadad's house, he was out in the field singing, worshiping, and praising the presence of God. And as he became king, he said he knew that there was one thing he needed, the presence of God in the midst of Israel. And so he decides to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Jerusalem, the city of Zion, where the presence of God would be in the tent open for all to see and we could worship God day and night and magnify Him in reverence and in holiness. But there's only one problem, and this is the next problem we have in handling the presence of God. Traditions. 
For as David, it says in 2 Samuel and in Chronicles now, it says that he called together all the elders of the tribes, all the armies, all the leaders, and all the people together and said, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Great! And you think out of all the Levites and all the priests and all the people that one of them would say, this is how you do it. So what they did is went down to Abinadab's house, and Abinadab had a son. Abinadab was a Levite. He was a Kohathite from the tribe of the Kohathites, tribe of Koah. His son was Uzzah. And so David goes to the house of Abinadab and goes to Uzzah and says, Uzzah, let's bring the ark back. Uzzah, being a Kohathite, had studied, and it wasn't until age 30 that he could begin handling the properties of the tabernacle. The Kohathites were the tribe among the Levites that were taught how to transfer the furniture of the tabernacle properly to the next location. And they were to take the, the, the poles that the priests alone could carry on their shoulders as it went through the ringlets on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was covered with the coverings of the tabernacle so no eye would lay upon its beauty and splendor. And they would pick it up and carry it. Is that the way they dealt with the presence of God? No! They went with the traditional way. They went back to Uzzah. And Uzzah remembers, let's see, how would we do this? Oh yeah, it came on an ox cart. Yeah, from the enemy. Tradition. The way we remember it always used to be. Huh? Is that how we do this? Is this how we do church? The way we always did it. The way it's supposed to be. This is the way my father did it and my father after him did it. And how many of us have forsaken the presence of God for the traditions of men. Uzzah should have known better as a Kohathite how to handle it. But what he did instead of going to the Word of God and knowing what Moses said into proper handling it, he went and said, let's see. It came to us on an ox cart. We'll have it leave on an ox cart. David, we're all set. David being excited and, and not even looking into it himself. He Let's go, Uzzah. So Uzzah gets together and builds a new cart, new wood. Gotta like that. Gets new oxen, never pulled anything. God's gotta like that. David said, I'll handle the music. You get the cart. Let's go, Uzzah. So they're excited. This is awesome. Party time. The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. They start singing. David is dancing. He's shimmying. He's, oh, everybody's playing cymbals, the lutes, the harps. Everybody's worshiping God because of the apathy that the one generation had. They're bringing it out by tradition. And as they're bringing it out, And the presence of God, God is tolerating this. As the presence of God is being taken by an ox cart by the chosen people of God who didn't choose to even bother to know how to handle His presence. The ox walk in a rocky path and the cart takes a tip and the the Ark of the Covenant begins to fall and Uzzah puts his hands on it to steady it. Attaboy, Uzzah. Good job. Because no one wants the ark to fall in the dirt. So Uzzah stays the ark, and it says that the anger of God kindled from heaven. And it says that his anger poured out upon Uzzah, and he died instantly. 
In the Hebrew rendering of this, the word poured out from heaven literally means that fire came and burnt the dude like toast. (laughs) Hallelujah! Hallelujah! (laughs) Church was over right there, man. I can imagine people (laughs) ran. Mm, 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 mm. You pick it up. I ain't touching it. God would rather have his holy presence in the dirt than being touched by the only thing that is rebellious on planet earth, the sinful hands of men. David says he was angry. Don't you see what I'm trying to do for you? No, I'm paraphrasing, but he was ticked. He's, this is it. We're done. It's over. And they all split. What do you want us to do with that? There's a house over there. Put it there. Could you imagine getting that knock on the door? Hello? Who is it? King. What are you doing here? Package for you. (laughs) Why is everyone upset? What's going on? It seemed like a celebration. What is that lump in the ground over there? Don't pay attention to that. We've got a gift for you. We want you to take care of the Ark of the Covenant of God. And that's where we find the fifth aspect of handling the presence of God because something was completely different with Obed-Edom. His name, Obed, means servant or slave. Edom means from the Edomites, but it also has a deeper rendering in its root word. Edom means red, ruddy. It's the same word we get Adam from, the dust, the dirt, the red dirt, the clay. Man, Adam, Edom. Obed-Edom was a servant of men. He was a gatekeeper. He was a man who cared for others and served others. And as a servant, God knew this is the house where I will stay till my people get their act together. I don't think it was any mistake that the ox cart tripped in front of Obed-Edom's house and that Uzzah was struck dead at a place where God knew he could secure his presence with a faithful servant that would handle it right. God, as Jesus said, is seeking a people who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's seeking a people That means, brothers and sisters, we can be superstitious about this. We can be apathetic about it. We could be curious about it, or we could be traditional about it, or will we be reverent towards our God? I want to be the ones who carry His presence in such a way that He says, I want to pour out at that house today. That's what I want. Obed-Edom was faithful to the Lord. And he handled that Ark of the Covenant. It says that it stayed with him for three months. And in the three months that the Ark of the Covenant was in Obed-Edom's house, his house prospered and was blessed. (laughs) That's the picture of what the New Testament church is supposed to be. Not traditions of men. Not curious seekers. Not apathetic worshipers, not superstitious religious people, 
but a people who revere the presence of God and interact with His presence daily. Jewish rabbis say, the commentators say that that Obed-Edom would daily light the candles and light the lamps before the Lord morning and night. And something happened in his household. He began to multiply. He began to be blessed. His crops and his herds blessed. His household blessed. His family blessed. So much so, in fact, it says in 2 Samuel 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. That's what it is for us to have the presence of God in us. The people that are at work near you should be blessed that you're sitting in the cubicle next to them. The neighborhood around you should be grateful that they've got a Christian living on that block that is paying attention to the needs of their neighbors and caring for them. Your friends are blessed because you have a presence of Christ in you. For we with unveiled faces behold the glory of His face and we are being changed from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory into the image of Christ. That's the presence. That's the reverence. With this presence in us, we're different so it's blessing everyone else around us. That's how you handle the presence of God. And when David heard that nobody was getting killed because that's the history of this thing. You mishandle God You'll lose your life. It said, it was told King David, and he was sa- it was said to him, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on the account of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Something changed in David. He thought as he reviewed the history, he killed the Philistines. It killed those 70 Levites who looked into the countertop. It, it was apathetic in the house of uh, uh, the other fella. I forgot his name. And now it killed Uzzah. So now what? But why Obed-Edom's house? Why is he being blessed and all that he owns is being blessed and all that he and his family are being blessed? This man must know how to handle the presence of God. I want people to look at us, brothers and sisters, personally to see that you handle the presence of God personally. It's not a superstition. It's not a curiosity. It's not a tradition. It's Jesus in your life. David then realized there's a right way to handle the presence of God. He reviewed the right way to carry the presence. And he went back to Obed-Edom's house. And he took that ark and the Levites carried it on the rods as they were supposed to. And as it was covered, they carried it in procession unto the city of Zion, to Jerusalem, to the mount where David had prepared a tabernacle for it. And what I love about this story is now that the tabernacle was resting in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. If you'll review the Word of God, you'll see that one of the gatekeepers to the presence of the Lord was a man named Obed-Edom. He brought him with him into the capital city. He brought him with him into the temple to serve. He became a musician. He became one of the chief psalmists. He became, and his children were over and entrusted with the storehouses of Israel. Because he had been in the presence of the Lord. I conclude with this. 
First Chronicles 26.8, all these are the sons of Obed-Edom with their sons and brothers. They were all able, qualified men for service. 62 of the men from the lineage of Obed-Edom served in the temple and watched over all of God's house. God is looking for a faithful people who know how to respond to His presence so that He can use them to save the world. I want to be that. Don't you? Don't you? I want to go past curiosity. Don't you? I want to break out of apathy. Don't you? I want to get rid of all superstitions. Don't you? And I want to get rid of tradition. I want to revere my God and my King. I want to pour out my heart and love Him with every fiber of my being. I want to be a servant of the Most High God. I want to be a gatekeeper of His divine presence. Don't you? Let's bow our heads.